All right, let's talk some NBA. Jazz get it handed to him last night by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, joining us now, Kurt Heelan from NBC Sports and ProBasketballTalk.com. Kurt, how the heck are you, man? Good, good. That one surprised me a little bit just because I kind of expected the Hawks to fall apart without Trey Young. But uh, <sighs> you know, maybe they go on a winning streak and then they trade Trey Young. That'll be the new That'll be the new trick. Well, sometimes it just comes down to who wants it less. And uh, last night it looked like the Jazz did not. Uh, we had this debate yesterday. The Jazz have that first-round pick that's protected 1 through 10. Um, if you're the Jazz, do you in, and knowing that this draft, do you want to convey that so you can just get it out of the way right now? Or would you rather have that top 10 pick in a draft that may not be particularly good this year? I'd rather convey it. I'd rather it's a deeper draft in years coming up and you've got a couple of good young players. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you, if you end up with it, don't get me wrong, but in an ideal world, I'd be kind of happy to move that pick along this year. And like you said, this, these down drafts, you know, and, and like this one is supposed to be, there's always players, right? There's always going to be, ah, oh, the 2003 draft was awful. Anthony Bennett and, and, uh, who was, uh, I forget now who was second off the top of my head. Victor Oladipo was second, and oh, this wasn't that great a draft. It's like, yeah, Giannis, man. Then Rudy Gobert was in that draft. Like, there's always guys. So there will be guys, but I think I'd rather I'd rather pass this one along and then see where we land next year and, and hope out of the way. It, it feels so weird to say this, Kurt, but in terms – the Utah Jazz need to win to be able to give away their pick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not actually looking at the standings right now. But, or, but yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to have to rack, rack up some wins. Sometimes you can do that at the end of the season, though. If, if you care, that might be enough some nights, right? You just get to a point in the season where the teams that are kind of checked out have checked out, and there's some teams kind of gearing up for the playoffs, but if you can rack up a few wins from teams, either resting guys for the playoffs or guys who are, uh, what to use Doc's words, they're in Cabo. Yeah. And, and a few of those wins can get you where you need to go. So across the landscape of the NBA, and you look at uh, what the Jazz are dealing with right now and their schedule, I think it's probably going to be a moot point because – uh, I don't see a lot of wins left on this schedule. And after what we saw last night against Atlanta, the Jazz were favorites actually going into that game, and they ended up getting roughed up. I think this team might have a Cabo, not not intentionally, but I just don't know if they're in a situation where they can string together a bunch of wins. So it does appear like they will have a top-10 pick when it's all said and done. Which isn't, the, again, not the end of the world. There are some guys out there who can help, but – yeah, the, uh, the Jazz actually have the second toughest remaining schedule in the NBA, just behind uh, Phoenix. So, yeah, you're right. That's that's going to be tough if you've got, you know, Boston and Oklahoma City and two against the Timberwolves, two against the Nuggets left, two against the Clippers. Like, that's that's a rough patch to try to get through. And so, you know, may, again, maybe you can sneak in a few. Like I said, ideally you'd like to convey it, but on the flip side of that, if you've got the pick, you've got a staff that has drafted well and developed well, and you can hey, go through these guys, see who's, who's out there. Who do you really want? Who's going to, who's going to not just fit, but like, who do you see as an upside pick in this? Who's one of those guys where, Hey, maybe not this year, but if we develop him in three years, we could have something special. 
So we did get to see Quinn Snyder kind of back in action against his old Utah Jazz team, and I think that that's always a big storyline here in the state. Atlanta now sitting at 26 and 32. They're in the 10 spot, so they're in the play-in spot, and it looks like they should be able to hold on to the play-on spot unless Brooklyn or Toronto goes nuts from here on out. But um, how happy are they with Quinn Snyder and his vision and, and what they're doing in Atlanta right now, despite Trey Young and his finger surgery that he just went through? Yeah, the sense in Atlanta is that they, they like Quinn, but it's it's kind of pick a direction time with Trey Young. Either either they got to, you know they tried. There was a lot of talk about them trying to trade Dejounte Murray, but they're going to trade Murray or Young this summer. One of the two, um, possibly both, but probably one of the two, and kind of retool around the other and. I think that that's kind of the big question facing them. Like it's, it's what direction do you want to go? And for that matter, can you build a winner? Can you build a true contender around Trey young? I mean, he's, he's not Steph Curry, man. Like he, he does some stuff that's really impressive. He is a very good offensive player, but he's not, his defensive issues are concerning and, I'm just, you know, it would take a very special, very specific build around him to win. What could they get if they wanted to move him? You know, because there's, there's desperate team. Um, there might be one in Los Angeles. There's a couple other desperate teams that might pay pretty well to get a hold of him. Hmm. Kurt Heedlin joining us, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Uh, Kurt from NBC Sports and ProBasketballTalk.com. Uh you're seeing the downslide of the dynasty of the Golden State Warriors, but yet Steve Kerr still gets his uh, two-year extension, highest-paid coach in the NBA. Is that a lifetime achievement award? Is it a, hey, you know what? We still think he can help us right the ship. What, what, what do you think the genesis of that is from? A little bit of a lifetime achievement, but all. Um, first off, his timing was great just because Monty Williams and that – that desperation contract that that uh, Detroit gave him last summer, which by, it's just changed the market. By the way, that has not been a great hire. He's not been a great fit there. Um, but e- even when he's storming out of uh, yeah. press conferences, um, rightfully. Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, but, yeah, but they um, – that is like, hey, well, now Do- now Popovich gets paid and Spolster gets paid, and I'm, I'm forgetting somebody else. In there. Like, suddenly, if you're one of those very elite coaches, you've got to get paid. So his timing was good. He was up for an extension, and I think what they want to do is keep him there um, in, on the bench through, the Steph, through Steph Curry's time there, however much longer that lasts. And I think they've got – I think this lines him up with Curry, and then they'll, they'll make a decision. Um, Curry still fills – not only an elite player, but I mean, still fills the building, still sells the sponsorships, is still just one of the most popular players in the league. So I think they're trying to keep that part of the band together uh, until it's time to break it up. And then I wouldn't be shocked if he jumped not away from the Warriors but more into a front office role as opposed to to jumping to the bench somewhere else. I think he's – I think he would be willing to move on from – the grind of coaching. Well, I've been talking about the Golden State payroll for some time now, $210 million. Just to put that in perspective for Jazz fans, Jazz are paying out about $132 million. 
So $210 million for Golden State, the number one payout in the NBA. Where are we at with expenses right now, Kurt? With the repeater and everything, how expensive is this year going to be for Golden State? Very. And I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but if I remember the numbers right, like where they are and where a few teams are going right now, the Clippers, like the Warriors are on the edge of paying more tax than you're going to be paying in revenue Ooh. or in, in front out. Like their tax bill is going to be higher than your whole, um, and, and a bunch of teams. It was, it's just crazy how much they're paying out. The Clippers are going to be in there, especially if they, like they re-signed Kawhi. If they bring back Paul George and James Harden is expected, they're going to be expensive as heck. And the, the money is going to keep going up for these. Like it only actually, the tax part of this is bad and then gets worse. And then they've, uh, in a couple of years plus, I think we've, as we've talked about, they've added all sorts of restrictions about, man, if you're over that far over the tax, if you're over that second apron, so 17 million into the tax, you've got, you, you can't get buyout players. There's restrictions on who you can trade for. You don't get to use your mid-level exception. It just becomes much harder to build a team around your guys. And so, I think you're going to see teams move away from that, but the Warriors are, they're just not ready to move away from the dynasty yet. And they're look pretty good the last few, now that they've leaned into the younger group and, and Kuminga's out there and pods and stuff like they bring in Chris Paul and, and Clay Thompson off the bench. They've looked, they've looked good enough that you can talk themselves into one of those, you know, if everything just breaks our way, kind of playoff runs like the Lakers got last year. So, Hmm. We'll see. I, I I think they're going to do that for a couple of years, but it's going to get so prohibitively expensive under the new CBA that it's that second apron is going to serve as almost a de facto NFL-style salary cap. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, and it appears that there might be a groundswell within the NBA and the competition committee to look at ways to – maybe bring the offense back down to earth a little bit. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's getting a little out of control. Uh, I don't want I don't want to see the 93 New York Knicks, but I also am getting a little tired of seeing 130s, 140s in terms of scoring total. What are some of the things that can be done that can be implemented to try to bring the game back down a little bit? That's going to be part of – that's really part of the questions is what can be done. I, I think part of it's going to be allowing more physicality, less – not necessarily like hand-checking per se. Um, that I'm not sure actually – a couple of people I talked to said that's not really going to work anyway. Um, but you're going to hand-check Curry 35 feet from the basket. Like it's not <laughs> quite the same thing. But – Allowing more physicality, especially on guys driving into the lane. Right now, guys have gotten really good at taking these kind of, you're coming down, I'm going to take a sharp angle in, ram into the defender and throw the shot up and expect a call. And I think like that's something they can do away with. And if they do away with that, it changes the drive and kick game a little bit. Um, I'm not sure. I think it'll be incremental is the thing. Like I think they do something like that. Like We're going to change how that's called. Then we're going to watch it for a year or two, and then if that's not enough, we're going to do something else. And they're also just hoping for a defensive innovation of some kind, somebody to come up with something that that changes the numbers. You know, these it happens in football. It happens to everything, right? Like you use those pendulum swings. Like, all right, 
who can come up with a defense or, or decides like this is what we really need to do and figures out how to chase guys off the three-point line or whatever at a better rate. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the league is kind of hoping for some of that, but I think, I think you'll see even next year they're going to allow some more physicality in specific positions just because that's the only way to kind of you, – you've got to give the defense something. You're right right now. It's just – you can't just have guys out there with a tape like matadoring out there. It just it doesn't work. Well, how much would that potentially change the positioning of teams without having to change rosters? It, just giving guys with know. that particular skill set more advantage. Yeah, I think it gives guys who can slide and stay in front and and a little bit more advantage. Um, how much? How much remains to be seen? And do you, do you pair that with having a? a rim protector, you know, behind them that can, if you can body that guy out a little farther and then have the rim protector come over, how much does that help and change things? Are you going to see more guys? Are teams going to lean into that more? I mean, it's a copycat league, but I'm like, it's a copycat league. So all you got to do is find like 20 more Wembys. And then, and then <laughs> You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. We're good. We're just, we got Chet. We got Wemby. I was about to say Zach Eady, but he's a tad slow, so maybe he's not that guy. But like I, um, I don't like I'm, I don't know how they pull that off. I'm I'm just curious how it looks. Like I think you can allow it. I'm not sure how much it changes things in the short term. We'll see. So Monty Williams, as you mentioned, obviously yeah. had every right to be upset. Storms out of his press conference. Uh, they're, you know, the officials say Mia culpa, you know, they, they essentially said, yeah, we, we missed that call. Uh, but is that where it ends? I mean, is there punishment for these officials? Like what, what goes on behind the scenes when there's a blatant screw up of this magnitude? First off, I think we have to give Dante DiVincenzo credit here. He went low. He did not use the crown of his helmet. So there's no targeting. <laughs> no targeting. Yeah. Very clean um, Although there was an ejection. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, there, um, in this case, there won't be anything like specifically done. The league admi- admits it was a bad call. The league will not allow approve a protest of a game um, based on that. So essentially, nothing happens. But there is, and this is one of the, uh, among the many frustrations of coaches and players with official officiating is the league will say, look, these guys are disciplined. We just do it privately. Like, I don't know if they're fined or or how this works exactly. They they say, I've heard that there's fines, but what that looks like and and it cuts into their, well, hey, you lose some games or something, so you're not getting as much pay but they're not transparent about it. So it doesn't feel like anything happens to the officials who missed this call. Um, and that's been part of the frustration. It's, it's, Hey, if Monty Williams, they haven't announced it yet um, that I've seen um, unless it came down in the last, since we got on the phone, Monty Williams is going to get fined for that, right? Like he's going to get fined for ripping the officials and, and storming out of, a, out of his, you know, he's going to get a $25,000 fine and the legal send out a press release and that'll be that. And, and he knew it going in. Whatever's happening with the referee isn't public, and they're trying to protect the. Hey, man, we don't want somebody coming into the arena going, "Oh, it's that, it's that ref who missed these calls." But 
not having it be transparent is part of the problem because it feels like nothing gets done. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, and that's the thing that I, uh, that I wish was a little bit more transparent. And I understand that you want to protect the sanctity of the league and the officials and things along those lines. But also, you know, when it comes to the NFL or the NBA or whoever, like these dudes get served up on a pedestal. And if somebody misses a kick, they have to go and meet with the media. And if somebody screws up, they've got to be held accountable. But yet you have one pool reporter who gets to talk to an official after a game. And then after that, it's over. And I just think that you know how that works, by the way, you have to pre-submit the questions, although you can follow up and the entire thing is on Zoom. It is not in person. Wow. So it's it's yeah, it's one person on Zoom. It's it's not. Um, how should we put this not conducive to um, like pressuring them a little bit on this? Like they know what the questions are going in. They, you can follow up, but they're going to know what the follow-ups. You know, there's kind of obvious follow-ups to that. Um, so, it, yeah, it's not a – again, they, they kind of get let off the hook. Yeah, and I think it's better for the league because if not, then we got a bunch of people out there that think we've got a bunch of, you know um, – Rogue. Who's the uh, who is the gambling ref? Oh, Tim Donahue. Yeah, yeah, Tim Donahue. You know, it's like – Hey, you know what? Like, I think it would be good for the league if there was more accountability. And they're like, okay, this guy screwed up. You know what? It was a bad mistake, and he's going to miss the next five games, or he will not be allowed to ref in the playoffs, or whatever the case might be. And just say, yeah. look, this is what we're doing, and let's uh, let's take care of it. Because I've been, you know, when I when we were owned by the Jazz, they let us the that they would do these meetings with the officials who would come in and have these private meetings with select members of the media. And it was fascinating. And they would go through some of the things that they would be held accountable to. And I'm like, this is great information. The public needs to know this stuff. Like, this is really cool to know what goes on behind the scenes. But yet they're like, you got to keep this private. It's like, ah, what are we doing here? Come on. Let the people know. They very much do that. It's it's very much a kind of protected ecosystem. And it's, it's an issue. It's it, it really, like you said, just not having that transparency leads to – it opens the door to that uh, with the rise in gambling and the number of guys who are like, man, you know they had money on the mix in that game or whatever. Like it's it's – it adds to that – it adds fuel to that fire because, you know, the internet abhors a vacuum, man. Like if, if, yeah. if there's no yep. information, they will fill it in with, with – crazy conspiracy theory things you know it's too bad all jobs don't have that level of protection It'd be nice if scotty and oh yeah I and, and yeah. you we all were protected like that oh i work in the internet industry man i don't see what could possibly happen <laughs> <laughs> everything goes smooth there yeah no no doubt exactly. well kurt appreciate your time as always thanks for hanging out with us uh we'll do it again next week take care guys you got it kurt healing nbc sports and uh, probasketballtalk.com